Hi there, it's Clark Buckner, and you're listening to a bonus five-episode series on Circle Back. And we're calling it A New Stage. It's hosted by our friend and NFL Hall of Fame Tennessee Titan running back, Eddie George. Now, on the previous episode, we had Kix Brooks in the studio. And with our next guest, we're staying in the country music world as we're joined by John Rich. Our team is hard at work on season two, and in the meantime, Eddie George is circling back with some of his friends and ours, hearing how they went to a new stage and some of the lessons entrepreneurs can apply today. This show is a production of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, also known as the EC. We're a 501c3 right here in Music City, working every day to help make Nashville the best place in the country to start and grow a business. To learn more about how to get connected and be part of our thriving entrepreneurial community, visit us at ec.co. And now we head over to the Chase studio with Eddie George and John Rich. Hey, John, man, it's great, great to see you, man. Uh, we're up here talking about these great ideas. <laughs> we're already going. <laughs> You're already going. I know, and I just wanted to say, how you doing, Coach? Oh, my god! Congratulations, Coach. Thank you, man. It's It's been a whirlwind. Um, I, I didn't see this one coming about six months ago. Um, when I first got presented with the idea, I, I laughed at it because I said, there's no way in the world, given all the stuff that I'm doing and have done, um, that I can fit in a coaching job <laughs> <laughs> to my life. It was un- it's unfathomable. I said, there, there's no way I can, I can accomplish that. It, it, it was, I was flattered and honored and I was like, no, but after listening to their vision and where they wanted to go, um, the willingness to invest in the school, in the program. Uh, you look at any institution, the eyeballs of the institution goes through the football program. Uh, it helps as a revenue generator. It's, it's, it was positioned to me to be the CEO of this football team and of their vision. And I already had a existing working relationship with the president of the university of my wealth management business and managing some funds for the AKA Foundation. And um, I was just <laughs> not feeling it. And then I said, I told my wife, I said, listen to this ridiculous idea. I said, um, President Glover wants me to be the head football coach for Tennessee State University, knowing I have no coaching experience. Right. Right. But a ton of free time. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. And, and my wife says, that doesn't sound ridiculous. Why not? And I began to, and that really got me going. I said, why not? Why wouldn't I do it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I did my, my list of uh, pros and cons, you know, the reasons, what, what could happen, how it's impact my existing businesses, my time. Well, I live here in Nashville, the number one city or, or top five city in the world. Uh, the resources that I can provide to this program, the lives that I can impact, mm-hmm. uh, how will this impact my business? Oh, it, it can doesn't really impact my business at all. It can only can really enhance it. Um, am I passionate about it? Yes, I can be. You know, it, it's it's going to be a lot of work, but I have to see what that looks like. So I did this whole checklist, <laughs> and on the con side was, hey, I got I won't be able to play golf as much. Right. Um, I, I I'll, I'll have to devote all my time, my days to young people and watching football. 
Oh, that's bummer. <laughs> right? You're going to hate that. Yeah, but I have to recruit <laughs> a lot, you know? Right, right. Well, in my that's life, true. in my life, I, I have to recruit my business. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a salesman, you know? And, yeah. and I, it's, it's weird because I've, uh, I'm coming back full circle to my first love in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, as as a businessman, as a motivational speaker, as um, um, uh, 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 a man that's going to to cultivate young men as a, a father figure, all these things that I've done in my life, now I have a chance to do it all in one spot. Mm-hmm. That's I mean that's powerful. Yeah, and and being a guy that's been coached all these years yourself, you know, we were talking earlier. You know what you do like and what you don't like about yeah. the way you've been coached. So think about that filter that a lot of coaches don't have that. I, it's 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 weird, John, because um, I find myself really looking through the eyes of the athletes mm-hmm. and how do they want to be coached? How do I wish I want to be coached? Of course, I want to instill discipline. Of course, I'm going to push you to be your best. But how I do it is another way mm-hmm. uh there you know the number one thing in all of my businesses and all the teams that i've been on was respect for one another we're going to respect one another we're going to take care of one another we're going to get the workout we're going to compete we're going to challenge each other we may, we may fight but we're going to respect one another you're not going to uh demean anyone or dog cuss anybody uh we're going to teach you know mm-hmm. it's very important that i bring in coaches that are exceptional teachers in life because we're preparing these men for life through football. And uh, that's, I want that to be an organic thing uh, within our program. And hopefully that will permeate out into the rest of the colleges uh, on campus, the rest of the uh, uh, student body, and hopefully in our community as well. Well, and isn't that the goal of, of I think everybody should have this goal, but mm-hmm. definitely of people like you and I that, my goal, and I bet yours is similar, is that by the time I'm done living, mm-hmm. that I feel like I exhausted my potential. There you go. I exhausted it. There I, you not, go. You know, and I might be exhausted from time to time, but if it was something I was capable of doing mm-hmm. and could have impact with people, I should really do that. Yeah. E- even if I go, I don't know everything there is to know about that, but it's in front of me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least take a whack at it. You and know? that's, and that's how I've always been in terms of my life. After the game of football, I got into business. I wanted to get into business. I went to business school, went to Kellogg School of Management, and I was uncomfortable there. I had to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable there. And then I said, okay, I want to jump into to acting. And so I jumped into theater, and I got with an acting coach here in town and got on stage, lost, got all my lines. <laughs> right? That's, hey, you know, it was, you're talking yeah. about naked. Yeah. <laughs> right. No pads. <laughs> no pads. <laughs> Literally, like, well, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And and found myself on Broadway. Um, and, and now in this new venture as a coach, same thing. It's like you constantly reinvent yourself. Um so you know, when people look at me, they automatically think that, okay, maybe you should have been a coach a long time ago. But I wasn't prepared for that five years ago or even a year ago. It happened, had to happen right now. You know, which leads me to you. You know, people, when people look at you, they see music. How, how did you fall in love with music? What was your first, your first, was it at birth? Was it a mm. piano? Was it a song you heard? Or was your mom singing? What, what, what was it? Well, so my dad is a non-denominational 
fire and brimstone preacher mm. and uh, grew up singing. He was a vocal major in college and uh, English minor. So, But he, he started preaching at 19 years old, 20 years old, very, very young. And so in church, he'd get a guitar out and he'd sing. And sometimes he would sing songs he wrote, gospel songs that he wrote that I heard him write. And then I watch him walk out there behind the pulpit and sing it to a congregation of people and watch them respond to it. And I was like, that's like magic to watch that happen. Like I watched, I was listening to him all week, working on that in the back bedroom. And now he's singing it and people are, are responding to it. So I think watching him do that and, you know, watching him uh, preach and sing at prisons. He mm. preached at a lot, of, a lot of prisons. I've done a few times with him. We'll pull up a flatbed trailer in front of the Nashville prison out here. Mm-hmm. and put on guitars and sing to the whole prison population and and then he pulls out the bible and goes at it wow. man i mean to watch him do that and watch how powerful music can be in all of its forms to me was just like it was like pulling a rabbit out of the hat to be able mm-hmm. to do that and intrigue me from a very young age about five or six years old i tagged along with him uh to guitar lessons he was given out in amarillo texas where i'm from mm. and that was one of his extra jobs because I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't get rich preaching in prisons, small churches, yeah, and street yeah. corners, okay? There's not yeah. a lot of money in that. But that was his passion. So he did all these kinds of odd jobs, slopped hogs, sold cars, gave guitar lessons, you name it. Mm-hmm. Night watchman at Emerald National Bank, all at the same time, four kids, double-wide trailer, Texas, right? Yeah. That was growing up. So just watching him go at it and seeing how much uh, music was such a tool for him and how much you know, joy he got out of singing. I went, man, I want to be like dad. You know, you want yeah, to be like your dad. Yeah, no question. Th- that's where I got bit. Yeah. And, that, and that's for me, that's how I got into the love of the game of football. My father would take me to all the high school games around mm-hmm. the, the uh, city of uh, Philadelphia. And he just loved watching running backs, mm-hmm. whether it was Earl Campbell, Jim oh, yeah. Brown, OJ Simpson. It didn't matter. Joe Cribs. He loved talking about him. And, and I wanted my father to talk about me in the same way. And uh, <clears throat> that led me led me on this journey. So you grew up in Texas. Um, you talk about double wide trailers and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. When did you come to Nashville and, and why? How did you get here? So my dad's a Texan. My mother's from Tennessee. So she, uh, gotcha. she's from a little town called Dixon, Tennessee, not mm-hmm. far down I-40. And so when I was about a freshman in high school, they was like, she goes, we need to move back to Tennessee. Amarillo. Eddie is as flat as this table, and on a calm day, the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour. And if you can't farm or run cattle or something like that, there's not a whole lot to do uh-huh. in Amarillo. So she's like, we need to get back to the trees. We need to get yeah. back to the, you know something something that, that was nicer. And I didn't want to move because I'd grown up, grown up there. But I got out here to Tennessee, started in high school out here, and I started meeting these kids. This one kid... I said, what does your dad do? And he goes, my dad drives Ricky Skaggs' bus. And I said, Ricky Skaggs rides on a bus? And I'm thinking like a school bus, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, why would Rick? And I was a huge Ricky Skaggs fan. You know, I buy Ricky Skaggs cassettes at the Walmart in Amarillo with my allowance money. He goes, no, man, you know, he rides on one of them fancy tour buses. My dad's his bus driver. And I went, and it dawned on me, holy cow, famous country singers and people I've listened to in my life don't live that far away from here. And that's when I started realizing oh, wow, people make money playing music. It never dawned on me. And so I started looking at the, the, the Nashville newspapers and stuff and entering talent contests mm-hmm. at 16 years old, <laughs> walking into honky-tonks where you ain't supposed yeah. to be in there unless you're 21. And 
and started, you know, trying to just get on a mic and sing, and, and that, that's where it started. A couple of guys went, you sound pretty good. One of the guys was Tracy Lawrence. He was in the same contest <laughs> trying to break in, you know. So that is remarkable. being told, you sound pretty good, kid, at 16, that fired me up. And as a senior in high school, I auditioned for guess where? Opryland. I auditioned oh, wow. for Opryland. Um, and I thought, I'm never going to get it because I'm not a dancer. you got to be able to do uh -huh. all this test. So I said, right. I can't do that, but I can sing. So I went in there and sang, and sure enough, they said, we can teach you a couple dance steps, but we like your singing. Come be at Opryland. I thought, holy cow. I do you remember that, that song? Yeah, I sing Put Yourself in My Shoes by Clint Black. Put Yourself in My Shoes That's what I sang. That. I'll never forget it, man. <laughs> and so I got the gig there, and I was going to go to college after that, but then some guy said, hey, we're putting a band together. We're all from Texas. We're going to go out and play Holiday Inn lounges and wherever we can go. We're going to call it, you know, basically Lone Star. It was a bunch of guys from Texas. You want to go do that or go to college? And I said, I want to get in the van and go play music. Well, didn't make my parents real happy, as you can imagine. But that started out the whole let's jump off the cliff and see what happens attitude. Yeah, man. You know, this <laughs> that walk by faith and not by sight type There was of nothing to fall back on. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you just don't fall. Did you have any, I'm pretty sure you had some adversities or moments of like self-doubt, like, dang, is, can I do this? Mm. Um, you know, can, will I accomplish my dream? Uh, what was that like for you? You know, did you or did you always know that you were going to make it to the level you are now? I never knew anything would happen to me that's happened to, to this point. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in my mind, in my in my guts, I knew who I was. I knew what I wanted to accomplish. I knew I was capable of it. But the issue any entrepreneur, anybody ever is going to run into is they don't care what your idea is about what you're going to do. They care mm -hmm. about what their idea is about what you ought to be doing. So you can come in with your ideas. You come in with your energy and your vision and all that. But until you get to a point where you're calling your own shots, you're really uh, in their circle inside their box. So I was bringing ideas and bringing things to the table that just got chopped off at the legs almost every single time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Lone Star, this band that I made it into, and we go on and we become a platinum act, guess what they did? They fired me. As they should have, because wow. I was a real problem. Because I, I wanted to sing Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy kind of songs, and they were singing songs called Mr. Mom about you know them being stay-at-home dads or whatever. I went, these two <laughs> things are not jiving together. So that you know, they had they had to cut me loose for that, and that was you know, you get fired from a band, then you sit down and watch the CMA Awards six months later, uh. and they've got a song called Amazed that arguably is one of the biggest country songs in 20 years, and they're winning every single award, oh, singing man. it on stage. I'm sitting in my apartment drinking a beer, and I'm not there. So you talk so, about a slap. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a slap. That's, That'd be like getting kicked off a team, and then they yeah. go win the Super Bowl the next yeah, year. Yeah. It's like that. So it was like a gut-wrenching feeling like I may, have missed oh. my, I may have missed my opportunity. I thought, boy, they were smart. They got rid of me, and now look what they did. So then you assess yourself going, well, so – something wrong with me something wrong with my ideas and you go through all of that and you really feel out of control with it and that's that's listen that's the destination of every entrepreneur is to feel totally like you have no control of the situation because guess what you don't most of the time no. most of the aspects of it are going to be out of your control when you're starting so the thing i did is i said well what can i still control it's got to be something I can still control. And for me, what it was was a pencil and a piece of paper. Mm. 
You cannot take my pencil or my piece of paper mm. away from me, and you can't tell me what to write on it, and you can't tell me what melody to put on it. That's totally 100% up to me as a songwriter, as a creator. So for five years in between Lone Star and then what happened with Big and Rich, there was a five-year period, I wrote over a thousand songs. None of them got cut in that five-year period. But when Big and Rich came on the scene and our music hit, guess what happened, man? Everybody said, you got any more songs that sound like that? And I go, yeah, I got a thousand of them. <laughs> and so they start combing through my catalogs that I'd been piling up. And all these songs start getting cut, and I wind up being songwriter wow. of the year three years in a row at ASCAP. Wow. So in the dead time, you know, I always tell people, find the one thing you can still control and control that. That, that, is, that, that is powerful because you, you didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, you, you relied on the thing that you can control was my ability to write. And it was mm -hmm. funny. I just talked to my, my nephew last night about this very thing, or my cousin. It could be my nephew. Um, is that he gets paralyzed? He gets stuck. He has all these ideas, and that's all he talks about. But there's no action. Mm. He's not writing them down. He's not saying, you know, doing what you did, uh, just writing them down, not knowing what was going to happen. And and three or four years later, it could be used for something that's good. You know. Right. Um, you mentioned something uh, entrepreneurship. Did, did you always have the entrepreneurial spirit even when you were singing? Or, or yeah, where did that come from? I think, listen, I think, you know, this, they're really, there's singers and there's artists. You know, singers, they sing. Artists and, and singers generally will follow, will follow culture. They'll follow fads or they'll follow things that are popular. Artists, on the other hand... I liken it to a sidewinder snake, the, the music industry. I'm, I'm going to call it a sidewinder snake for multiple reasons, but for this reason right now is that the industry goes left, right, left, right. They, they follow trends. They follow music trends, and singers follow along with that. Artists, on the other hand, cut a straight line, and they don't pull off the straight line because that's how they see it, and that's what they do, and they're an artist. You know, there's no redundancy in true art. It's like fingerprints. It's all different. And so when that artist cuts a straight line and that industry is going left to right, well, when they cross over your straight line, you're hotter than a match. But then they go way out here and nobody's calling. Then mm -hmm. they swing back around, they cross you again, you're hot again. Then they swing back out and nobody's calling. And you just hold that line. That, that's where you get people like Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash mm -hmm. and, you know, all the ones that were hot, not, hot, not over all these decades. But everybody knows their music because they just held the line to what's true to them. So... That takes a lot of, you have to really be, you have to be pretty sold on yourself mm -hmm. and that you understand where it is you're going. To me, chasing trends, it doesn't have integrity. Mm. Not to me, it doesn't. Right. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather write, I wrote a song last year called Earth to God. Go look that one up on YouTube, Earth to God. Did not get played at all at radio because it really is not in line with what they're playing right now. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's got millions and millions of views on YouTube because of what the song says. And I knew that's the song I was supposed to write, and I knew I was supposed to at least let people hear it, and I'm glad I did it. Was it successful by a radio metric? No. Was it successful? Yes. What inspired you to write that song? The thought, Eddie, of looking out our window, uh, no matter what side of the po political spectrum you're on, no matter what, what your arguments are for against anything, I thought to myself, well, what do we still have in common anymore with each other? 
is there anything we all have in common mm -hmm. anymore? I looked out the window and I said, yeah, the, what we have in common is none of us have control over anything and we all hate it. We all hate it. And so who does still have control over everything? God has control That's over right. everything. Well, have we talked to him in a while? No. We leave God out of the conversation most of the time? Yes. Are we all guilty of that? Absolutely. So I'm thinking through. I thought what we have in common is we're earth and here's God and all we got to do is reach out to him and he will respond. It, he says he will respond if you reach out to him. So I had this picture in my head of like an old World War II veteran sitting behind a CB radio pushing down on the button and saying, Earth to God, come in, God. Earth to God, come in, God. And what does Earth want to hear God say back? This is God, come back, Earth. That's the oh, conversation. Wow. Yeah. And so that thought hit me and I went, I got to write this down. And it was about 35 minutes I had written this very simple lyric, Earth to God. And like I said, I knew I knew it wasn't going to be a hit or anything like that, but it's been heard by tens of millions of people now. And to me, that that's my metrics of success these days. Man, dude, this is phenomenal, bro. I mean, just to have this conversation with you in terms of your process, how you it seems like you're very in tune with your spirituality, you know. And I guess that comes back to your father and. Uh, and your upbringing. Um, well, God has a sense of humor. That's why I'm still around. You know, same here, oh, man. man. Trust me, I've earned, I've earned, I've earned way less. Uh, I've earned to be treated differently by Him. But you know, if you ask for forgiveness and you really, you really turn around and try to not do that anymore, mm -hmm. and try to take your talents and abilities to help other people. Mm -hmm. I think he'll bless you in those endeavors, and I think he'll he'll increase your life. It's like yeah. you becoming a coach. And you're going, do I have time for this? Well, I don't know. Do you have time not to? Because what is what's Eddie going to get out of being a coach, man? They're going to fill your tank up sitting yeah. in the room with those young men helping them. Yeah, it's it's a it's truly a give and take. Um, and and, and the more like it, it's funny. Somebody asked me today after my first team meeting, getting in front of these kids that we're all wearing masks because of COVID. I really can't get a sense of of who they are yet, what they're feeling. It said, you know, this is our blank canvas. You know, um, I can give you my non-negotiables. I can give you uh, the, the, the the three rules of, of, of you can only control your attitude, your effort, and your focus. That's all grand. But what are we going to create here? What is our mission vision here? And it, it reminds me that I've got to look and be the part because what I demand from them, I have to demand from myself. Mm -hmm. And it keeps me accountable. You know, so I got to go to bed at 930 <laughs> right. at night. I got to oh, eat correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't tell this kid to count his macros. And I'm up here eating fried chicken, getting <laughs> drinking beer. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, do what I do as I say, not as I do, you know. Right. And that that's just not, you talking about integrity, that's not integrity to me. So it definitely keeps me on, on top of my toes in, in regards to that. And, and, and more importantly, I have a chance to share with them all of my endeavors in business and football and life as a father, as a husband, transitioning. All those things I can now truly pour into them. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and, and, and we'll segue into this. In 2018, 
you were inspired to start your own entrepreneurial venture. You started the bourbon company, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what is that about? Yeah, Redneck Riviera Whiskey. So that's a phrase that's been around since the early Hold 60s. Hold on, time out. You didn't bring a bottle of Redneck Riviera? Well, hang on. Now, what are you trying to... Oh, well, first of all, is. how dare you, sir? How dare you, sir? I didn't you, see sir? the bottle. How dare you think I would show up at your office <laughs> empty-handed? Oh! Not only did I bring you uh, some Redneck Riviera whiskey, I brought you the Granny Rich Reserve, uh, which is the uh, which is the aged, uh, a little higher octane version of the original. Let's see that bad boy. There you go. And that's my Granny Rich on the back. Can you? There you go. Let's see this. So that is. Uh, oh, this is nice. That is. Uh, that's a whiskey that's now in forty-seven states, eleven thousand stores all across America. Uh, it. I own it. I don't endorse it. I own the the recipe, the intellectual property, the yes, glass. Sir. I own the whole thing. Yes. It's a family business for me. My two my two young sons are going to help me work with this brand someday. So you started this from from ground out zero. Out of thin air. Wow. Thin Hold air. On. Can we get a couple glasses, please? Absolutely. Can we get some glasses? As we would say in Texas, don't threaten me with a good time. Right? <laughs> hey, man, it's five you know, o'clock athletes somewhere. And, athletes and musicians, exactly. you know. I have nothing to do after this, so <laughs> I, I'm out of have the coach right there you now. Go. I love it. And uh, But, man, so talk to me about how you got inspired. Did God, uh, boy, clearly this came from God, but how did it come from God? In so, terms well, of first of all, he, so my dad, I said, Dad, I'm starting a whiskey company. Mm-hmm. My dad's a preacher, right? And he goes... You think, that's a, you think that's a good idea? I went, I said, well, what, what do you think? He goes, well, are you going to tithe on it? Tithe, give your yeah. 10%, right? I said, absolutely. Going to give it to a group called the Folds of Honor. They put kids through college who lost a parent in combat. Huh. He goes, all right, you give it, if you're giving your 10%, he said, well, I guess at the end of the day, Jesus didn't turn the water into Dr. Pepper. Jesus didn't turn the water into Dr. Pepper. So as long as you're tithing, he said, you know. So I said, okay. So we went after it, and that was that was 2018. And we've now, uh, the brand has now funded uh, right at 150 college grants for boys and girls who lost a mom or dad in combat fighting for our country Man. through the folds of honor. So cheers. cheers to them. Cheers to them. Cheers. So... What do you say to That's those? That's an easy roll, ain't it? That's, I, I didn't have it. I didn't hear it. No. Didn't hear any I of that. I built it. So I built this whiskey to, I was a Crown Royal guy forever. Uh-huh. So Save a Horse Ride a Cowboy even says, buy the bar a double round of Crown and everybody's getting down. <laughs> so it's Canadian blended whiskey. So I was sitting around having a cocktail on, on a big and rich bus or something and I see Canadian blended whiskey and I went, I wonder if there's such a thing as American blended whiskey. Because I don't, I never heard of it. So I started walking into liquor stores out on the tour. I go, hey, buddy, can you show me your American blended whiskey in this gigantic liquor store? Mm-hmm. And every single time they'd go, I don't think we have anything called that. Hey, Bill, we got anything called American? No, we ain't got anything called that. I went, you got to be kidding me. So I thought, well, I don't know anything about making whiskey, but I bet I can find people that know how to make whiskey. And so... I find the right people, find a master distiller named Melheim, one of the only female master distillers in America, which the female perspective is critical in anything creative. I brought her in. She said, what are you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to create America's answer to Canadian blended whiskey. Mm. She goes, well, that's going to be tough because in Canada, they can put all kinds of stuff in a whiskey bottle and call it whiskey, and it ain't really all whiskey. But in America, if you put the word whiskey on your bottle, it's got to be 100% whiskey. 
So they can work with this much and we can work with this much, mm-hmm. but let's try. Mm-hmm. So we spent all of 2017, over 200 variations of this blend. It's American rye, American malt, American light, several different things, landing it in a spot where we finally got it there. And I said, that's the smoothest whiskey I've ever had. I would never drink Crown again if I had that. But there's one last person I've got to run it by before we put it out. The most experienced whiskey drinker I know, my Granny Rich, <laughs> who's been sipping whiskey since World War II. At that point, she's 86 years old, still working 40 hours a week, running her own business and alteration shop, wow. smoking Marlboro Reds and going home watching Wheel of Fortune and Mash reruns. Okay? Mash! Little, little, little wiry, Mash. little old lady. Yes, yes. Grew up in the Dust Bowl days, the Great Depression, seen it all, and still working. And I took it to Granny, and I said, I think I've got it. I, th- I think I finally got the whiskey down. And she goes, well, pour me a little bit of it. So I did. She smelled it. She goes, smells good. I said, well taste it she sipped it and she goes that's smooth i said how smooth is it granny and she throws the whole shot back slams it down on her sewing machine she goes about that smooth <laughs> i said can i tell america it's granny rich approved she took a big long drag on her marlboro and went it's granny rich approved and blew cigarette smoke at me which is the ultimate compliment so we put it out man and uh, it has gone absolutely gangbusters across this country well, I tell you what, man. Smooth, this is huh? smooth as yep. it gets, brother. This is awesome. The story about your grandmother is phenomenal. Is Granny? Is Granny? Uh, uh, we lost Granny last oh, summer, sorry twenty twenty. Yeah, it's okay, man. She won yeah. the ball game. She, you know, I think if you can live your whole life and call your own shots all the way to the end, mm-hmm. what can we ask for more than that? Amen. Nothing. Yeah. And so uh, she was blessed to be able to be that age and still do exactly. She still drove herself, lived by mm-hmm. herself, ran her own business. She goes, I'll drink whiskey if I want to. Uh, doctor said, the doctor told me I need to quit smoking cigarettes. I was going to say that. Baby. And she goes, and I said, yeah, and what would you tell him? She said, I looked at him and said, why on earth would I stop smoking cigarettes now? <laughs> at 88, right? Yeah. She's like, I made it to 88. You know? Right, 88, drinking whiskey and smoking cigar- and cig- working. cigarettes. And so working. when you ask Granny, Granny, why are you 88 and still working 40 hours a week? And she says with a scowl on her face because I can and that's what you're supposed to do when you live in this country her attitude was produce bring something to the table be an asset to people be valuable to other people you know don't sit around and think other people owe you anything she said very famously she goes John America offers us everything but it owes us nothing He goes, go after it, you know. And I grew up with people that that's how they talked. Her husband, my granddaddy, had six Purple Hearts in World War II. Mm -hmm. Lied about his age at 17 so he could go fight. You know, these are people I got to grow up around. So when you ask where does my attitude come as an American to go after things that seem impossible, and I'm probably going to fail at a bunch of them, it's because you want to exhaust your potential. Because we're the only country in the history of the world that gives its citizens a right a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of, of happiness. happiness. Not the right to be happy. Pursuit. The right to pursue happiness. Pursuing, it's a verb. And the fact that we get to pursue it should inherently make us happy. Damn, that's how I go brother, around it. Dude, are you going to run for president? Is that, that <laughs> the next <laughs> Oh, season? man, can you imagine? Why would I want to hang out with those people? <laughs> that sounds like a we terrible need, we time. Need, we need a lot of that. So your mantra, uh, work hard, play hard, is that yeah. where that comes from? Yeah, so it says that on the front of that bottle, you know, uh, work hard, play hard. I think, you know, this brand stands for things that I think most people have in common. 
you know, I keep saying, regardless, I, I'm sorry I have to say, regardless of your politics, but it seems like everything's politicized these days. Mm-hmm. But let's just say it, regardless of what side of the aisle or whatever your thinking is, hard work counts. Mm-hmm. All right? There's, there's Bernie Sanders supporters that work really hard and start businesses and go, and there's Donald Trump supporters that do it, and there's Joe Biden supporters. Hard work is across the board is always a, a something that has to be in the recipe of success. Mm-hmm. And across from that, when you get through working hard all week, what do you want to do? You want to go have as much fun as you can with the That's money right. you got left over, right. and then you're going to go back to work. So this brand celebrates those people. It celebrates the the hard work ethic of Americans in general. And that's why we give back to the kids through Folds of Honor. Mm-hmm. Because without their parents' sacrifice, guys like you don't get to play professional football. Mm-hmm. And guys like me don't get to sing mm-hmm. for a living. The American dream is is gone a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And that's why we give back to and them. My father and my grandfather uh, all served in the, in the U.S. Army. Uh, my father and Nam and my grandfather served in the World War II. Mm-hmm. Well, he died long time ago when mm-hmm. I was playing football uh, and I went to a military academy mm. uh, Fort Union Military Academy wow I didn't know that yeah and I used to wake up every morning at 6 excuse me 5.15 mm-hmm. and raise that flag because I was in the color guard yes maybe for like two semesters <laughs> right. I want to sleep a little bit more right, right. but I have uh, great respect uh, for what you want to do so you know we talked about the city of Nashville you moved here uh, from Texas um yeah, I, I mean, I've been here for 24 years. I, I, I can't recognize a city. I mean, right. it's, it's grown so much, and there's so much here, uh, entrepreneurially speaking. Um, so many corporations move into this city. You know, why, why Nashville, in your opinion, why Nashville for entrepreneurs? Um, I think, uh, you know, I think the energy of music in the town is, is quite a feeling. You know, mm-hmm. when you go up and down Broadway or you go... You see the amount of, of talent just walking the streets. It's inspiring mm-hmm. to be around all that, whether you're a musician or not. Just knowing that much creative energy is in this town, I think that bleeds over into other businesses and other uh, people that want to do other things. Mm-hmm. You've got that on a base level, but then you've, you've got you've got no state income tax here. Okay, you man. Know? Say it again. <laughs> you got no, <laughs> no state income tax here. I mean, right. people, people that move right. here from California get a 13% raise the second they cross our state line. That's right. And so... They're coming. Uh, and so that's part of the reason. Um, and then I think being centrally located, being, you know, Nashville's pretty central to the U.S. You can be a lot of places within eight hours from you know, Nashville. Yep. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons, I think, why people are moving here. And, and it's just kind of all coming together at the same time. I look out the window of my house and I say, I think the crane is the new state bird of Tennessee because mm-hmm. all I see is cranes. Cranes everywhere. Cranes, cranes, yeah, cranes. yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. new state bird, man. Yeah. Got to be the crane. It's been like that for like the last 10 years, it seems like. Yeah. So what's what's next for you, man? You seem like you have a lot going on. You seem dynamic. You seem like you're open. I love your analogy of an, being an artist and a, a singer. It's like artists are artists. You can put an artist in a corporate chair. He's going to be an artist. Mm-hmm. You can put an artist on a football field. He's going to find a way to be an artist. Coaching, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so where, where do you see yourself in the next five years? What would you like? What's on your vision board for, for you? My number one job is to be a good dad. That's mm-hmm. numero uno. So, you know, I waited, I waited till I was in my mid-30s to get married and have kids and all that for a very specific reason because... I knew guys that got married when they were still doing 200 concerts a year didn't turn out well most mm-hmm. of the time. And I thought, you know, that is the most important job I'll ever have is raise my two boys. And listen, I've turned down concerts 
Last week, I turned down two concerts. You know why? Because they landed on top of baseball games. Mm. Well, Booking Agent didn't like that a whole lot. You know, you're turning mm-hmm. down concerts. I said, well, here's the thing, Booking Agent. There'll be more concerts, but there won't be more baseball games. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I get to the point where I'm at now, my time and where I spend it is everything. You know, this brand, Redneck Riviera, I look at that and go, there's all kinds. Of, listen, we got a bar downtown. There's a, I've got a barbecue sauce with red gold. It's thousands of stores now. There's all kinds of ways my boys someday can plug into that if they want to. And it becomes a family business. So I want them to watch Pop out here swinging, spinning a bunch of plates. You know, when you go to the circus and they're spinning all the plates. You don't want a plate to hit the floor, so the guy's running around spinning them. Yeah, well, I'm spinning plates, guys. But if a plate hits the floor, that's okay as long as you guys are up and doing well. You know, you're the example for these two guys. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a house that was really loud, a lot of belt swinging, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. That ain't in my house. So if they get in trouble, if it, if it's bad enough for dad to actually chirp up for a second, they they know, okay, we went too far and it just stops. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying, you know, I think people say, well, that's the way I was raised or that's the way I, I was brought up or I saw my parents being like that. And people just, they go, well, I just have to be that way and follow in their footsteps. No, you don't. You can break the chain of destructive behavior if you mm-hmm. want to can always break it mm-hmm. you just go i don't like it and i'm not going to be that way it's like you being a coach that's what struck me what you're doing is so profound that you're a guy who has been coached for decades of your life mm-hmm. you know what you liked about it you know what you didn't like about it you now get to take that and put it into these young men right. man. i mean it's an incredible right. experience i think you're about it, to have it is and i got to get you some uh, tiger blue man some tiger i would blue love hats. it yeah, i'd love to yeah, come yeah. bring yeah. my boys to a game hey, that'd man, be awesome hey, you are more than ex- you want to sing the national anthem you can do whatever I would you want to do that <laughs> you can do yeah, I always love whatever that. you want to do that's fine but yeah. hey I, I know um we're getting close to our time here man um i want to say thank you for your time thank you for your stories thank you for your inspiration uh, thank you for this incredible. <laughs> You're welcome. I, mean, I am feeling smooth. I'm telling you, man, I mean, you're feeling good. We should have done this before, <laughs> before we started. started. <laughs> now, we'll send you some more. If people want to find it, 11,000 stores now, all on redneckriviera.com. Yes. Uh, store locator, you put in your zip code and find it. And uh, this year, I think we're going to surpass 200 college grants that we paid for. Awesome. Through Folds yes. of Honor. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. Thank, thank hey, you man. for having me on. I'm, thank you, I'm brother. proud of you, man, and uh, you're doing a great job. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. And there you have it, our second of five bonus episodes of A New Stage. A big thanks to John Rich for joining us in the Chase studio. If you're in Nashville, stop on by the Redneck Riviera and say hi to him and the crew. Stay tuned, because Eddie George has a couple more conversations on the way. So be sure you're subscribed right here on Circle Back. This special series, A New Stage, is a production of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. To learn more about how to get connected and be part of our thriving entrepreneurial community right here in Music City, visit us at ec.co. And be sure to subscribe to all of our shows at ec.co slash podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon with another bonus episode on Circle Back.